So this morning, um, I want to give you a little bit of context um, before I introduce our, our guest speaker this morning, um, who's a guest, but he's also Lighthouse family, So, uh, but first time in the pulpit here. Um, I, I don't want you to miss what, uh, what's taking place here kind of in our, our Lighthouse journey. Um, uh, Mark Geppert said something a number of years ago that stuck with me. He said, relationships are the knots in the net of harvest. God is uh, establishing his house uh, through relationships. And through those relationships, uh, it's how people come to Christ uh, in the world. It's through relationships. Um, James Davis, uh, a few months ago, said this to us. He said, the, the, the shortest distance between two points isn't a straight line. It's a relationship. How do you get from here to where you want to be? How do you get from here to Mexico? It's a relationship. How do you get from here to the next generation? It's a relationship. How do you get from uh, one place to the next? You get there because you have a relationship that helps you to get there. And uh, so uh, what we are uh, launching today, um, in, a, in addition to what you're going to hear in a moment about uh, the underground, um, is what Lighthouse is terming an affiliate ministry. Now, an affiliate ministry is a relational connection. It's a relational connection uh, that uh, we're still forming. We haven't fully put it on paper, but we know uh, that the Lord wants to do something with this. And so we're following suit on what we feel like the Lord. It's not about cash changing hands. It's about, it's about uh, favor, and it's about relationship, and it's about covering. And uh, so uh, as we uh, get ready this morning in our hearts for what Jason Barton is going to bring, um, I want you to know that he has come to me and said, I, I, I want to I walk with you. I want to journey with you. I want you to uh, be a leader that I can uh, connect with. And so uh, we are doing that. He and I have been meeting now for uh, several months. And we've been talking through what that looks like for us. But one of the things that Jason brings to the table that we've already experienced um, from uh, our Lighthouse perspective is a number of our young people went to a white noise conference put on by Jason and his wife Olivia and Josiah and Heather Barton. Uh, they, they put that on down in North Carolina uh, for several years and uh, our students have gone and, and they really had some uh, powerful encounters with the Lord, came back talking about the Lord, uh, their prayer lives were different, things were different. And, uh, and we know that they have a real anointing to reach the next generation. And uh, one of the things I do as a leader is I'm always looking for other leaders, leaders that don't look like me. Leaders that are younger than me. Because we have to encourage them in what they do. If we want the church to be strong generation after generation after generation, we've got to elevate them. Does that make sense? We've got to say, okay, uh, they're, they're not looking for my position, but I have created a, uh, through our help here at Lighthouse, we have created a platform. I say I, but I'm very gingerly about that. See, Lighthouse, your story and my story, we're kind of connected. Can't tell your story without telling my story. Can't tell my story without telling your story. We're in this thing together. But we have a platform that we need to extend to the next generation. And uh, I believe we'll, part of the way we do that is through uh, affiliate ministries. And so I'm going to ask Jason to come and bring the word this morning. Let's welcome him to the platform here at Lighthouse. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Oh, you don't need this, do you? Go ahead. Well, just checking to see if you were still there. <laughs> well, you see, what happened was 
There you go. I was looking for that. It's my Jesus music. You see, what happened was, uh, what Dr. Ken said about relationship um, is so true. Uh, without the relationship that we built, we wouldn't be here today. So, so you guys are going to find out real quick, I'm not anything like Dr. Kramer. <laughs> When it comes to like communicating, he's so sway and swag and just so, he's like water. He just moves so gently and then he's funny and then he drops this theological bomb and you're like, what in the world? And then he just keeps on going and you're like, you're like in awe, right? You're like, man, what's up? I'm, I'm not, I'm not like that. So I'm not, I'm not trying to be like that either. You're going to get the raw Barton this morning. See, we're home. We're, we're family. And so traditionally, when you go speak in places, you're supposed to behave yourself, you know, whatever that means. But I'm home, so I'm not going to behave myself. I'm not going to follow the rules. I'm going to preach it the way I feel it. And we're going to watch God do something, continue to do what he's, what he's doing. So I was going to say I apologize if I get emotional, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to ask you to excuse me if I start crying or laughing or shouting or running or whatever, uh, because I have come to find, I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. His faithfulness never fails. It never fails. Never fails. And so this morning is kind of a culmination. It's the beginning. It's the genesis. It's the apex of something that the Lord has placed down in my heart way back in 2007. It's a long time ago. I was little punk back then, scrawny little teenager. And I had a series of things happen in my life where I was really honored and privileged to be able to be in certain places where I could encounter the presence of the Lord. And for those of you that have encountered Jesus in a manifested way, and for those of you that, you know what I'm talking about, when you go into the glory of God and God shows up and he, and he hits you with his fire, changes your life. It leaves you hungry. You want more. You come to find that there's nothing that can satisfy you like the presence of Jesus. There's nothing that can satisfy you like the Holy Spirit. After, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, God ruined my life. <laughs> he messed it all up. He flipped the whole thing upside down. Once you taste and see Jesus, you'll never find anything like it. And you'll spend the rest of your life looking for it. But the thing is, you don't have to look very far. Jesus is here. Jesus is near. Jesus is acceptable. The Bible tells us that we can come right to Jesus because of his blood. He's a free gift. He's approachable. And so I've done the best that I, I can, you know, through my uh, teenage life and stuff to seek and pursue Jesus. And it's led us back here, which is hilarious because we were never planning on coming back to Gloucester. I can tell you that right now. It was never the plan. It was never the plan. But again, like Dr. Kramer said, you don't get anywhere by yourself. Relationships are the key to longevity. Relationships are the key to success. You don't get anywhere by yourself. We need each other. 
And so because of, because of you, I'm telling you, um, um, I'd just be vulnerable with you guys, I guess. Just be honest with you. I might as well. I'm up here. I better not lie. Um, sometimes life will throw you a curveball. And sometimes the unexpected, unplanned happens. That's okay. Jesus knows about it. Just sometimes we aren't necessarily prepared. And so my wife and I had gone through a season of changes that really weren't expected and really weren't in the plan, even though God was orchestrating everything. You know, sometimes you feel like God is getting ready to do something in your life, and then we think we're so smart, we try to define what that is. And then when it happens, you're like, whoa, hold on. This is not what we said it was. And God's like, that's not what I thought. That's not what it was in the first place. Like, dude, you were super off. So anyway, anyway, um, so we uh, ended up moving back home from North Carolina and um, we got connected with Dr. Kramer and the pastoral staff and Lighthouse. And my wife and I could talk, well, we could try to talk to you. We'd probably spend time crying. We'd talk about how wonderful you guys have been to us and how you've kept us going, kept us moving, kept us running. And so we're here this morning because, not because of one man, but because of a community of people following Jesus. And so from the bottom of our hearts, we're really grateful and we thank you for doing it. And that's why we're so excited to be able to release the underground ministry to you this morning. We don't wanna do it anywhere else but home with people that has been on this journey with us. And so we're, we're really, really excited about what God is doing. The purpose, the, the reason why underground exists is so that we can help create a place where people can encounter the Lord that will spark life-giving transformation in their lives. You see, the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, Paul said to the Roman church to not be conformed, but be transformed. The, the scripture says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, become a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, this scripture is super alarming because Paul is telling a bunch of Christians not to conform, but be transformed. He's telling people who have received Jesus, a community of believers, people who have received Jesus, who put their faith in Jesus, who have gone through the salvation process, who were once lost, but are now found, who were once in darkness, but are now in, now in light. They've been translated, they've been changed, they put their faith in Jesus. When you put your faith in Jesus, he brings forth new life. He's talking to an audience of people that have experienced and are experiencing new life. And yet still he warns them and urges them and says, do not conform, but be transformed. This word beseech that you find in some of these translations, it's a very heavy word in the Greek. He's, he's, he's alarming them. He's trying to stir them, wake them up. He's speaking loudly and exuberantly and passionately. He's probably spitting on some people. He's trying to get people's attention. He's saying there's a real danger out there and that's the church is conforming. You need to transform. Now, why this is alarming to us because these people are saved. And so this is the conclusion. You can experience salvation without transformation. You see, Jesus died on the cross so that you could get out of hell and go to heaven. That's not the only reason why he died. See, when you receive Jesus as savior, you, 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 your, your sins are forgiven, you leave the position of hell and you're on your way to heaven. But Jesus died, not just so that you could be free from your sins and go to heaven one day, he died that you would live this life of transformation and bring heaven to earth. 
Jesus is not a scapegoat and he's not, the, he's not the Uber we're taking to try to get out of Dodge. He called you to establish the kingdom of God here on this earth and he said you do it through transformation. So we desperately, badly, we need a, a body of Christ to wake up and start engaging in not just relationship with God, but engaging in fellowship with God. They're totally different things totally different things. Relationship is the doorway to fellowship. We don't have a relationship problem in church. If those of you that are in Christ, you are a new creation. You are a son and a daughter of God. The relationship thing is not the problem. The problem is we stop at relationship, where relationship is supposed to be the door to fellowship. Let me explain. I have a brother that I have not seen in probably 15 years. Could be a little bit longer than that. Now, the distance, the separation that we've experienced does not change the fact that he's still my brother. Relationally, he's still my brother. He's still my brother. Nothing changes that. The problem with the situation is he doesn't get any of the benefits of brotherhood. Because he doesn't spend any time with me. And he's missing out. Thank you. He's missing out. I'm a good guy. I'm fun. He's missing out because he spends no time with me. Listen, the, the God wants to transform our lives, but the way we do that is we walk through the doors of relationship and we enter into the, into the courts of fellowship. It's time that we take this thing a little bit further and not have Jesus just be a Sunday thing. The reason why people are struggling right now is because their fellowship with Jesus starts at nine o'clock in the morning on Sunday and ends 11 o'clock that same morning. Jesus is not a Sunday thing. He's a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. He's the Jesus of the holiday. I don't, all this like idea, I gotta take a vacation and leave your Bible at home. Like, what's the deal with that? If you gotta take a vacation from Jesus, you're not serving the right Jesus. <laughs> so the purpose of the underground is to stir a hunger to go deeper. You see, oh man, I, okay, y'all gonna have to help me with the time again, okay? I promise I'll be done this time, on time. But I may not even get to where I need to go. But whatever, that's okay. It's my first time here. I'll ask for forgiveness later. <laughs> see, the problem with people is that they wanna formulate and fashion a Jesus that they can fit in their back pocket. They want a Jesus they can carry around. I don't know about you, but I don't want a Jesus that can carry, or I don't want a Jesus that I can carry around. I want a Jesus that can carry me. I'm not trying to get Jesus to fashion to my lifestyle. I'm trying to get my lifestyle, my, my lifestyle to fashion to his. I'm not trying to conform the word just to, 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 in order to um, justify the way I'm living. I'm trying to get into the presence of Jesus so that he can transform me so that my life starts to line up with the word. Not the other way around. So the purpose of our, of our little shindig thing here, we're trying to stir people to hunger and to say, you know what? My life isn't lining up with the word, we'll contend for it because it's supposed to. Start asking tough questions. Why is it not lining up with the word? God, what's going on in my life that needs to be burned out? Come on, you need to put yourself in the fire. Let him burn things out of you because I want my life to look like his. He takes us from glory to glory, from faith to faith, transforming us into his image. My life should be looking like his. 
And, and we need to encourage this generation of people that if my life isn't lining up with it, it's time to figure out why. Receive the grace and receive the mercy of God. Let him burn things out so he can replace it with himself. It's time we start doing that church. Paul, Paul said, he said, I'm not coming with enticing words. I'm coming with signs and wonders. I'm coming with power. I'm here to come with power. Christianity is a contact sport. You didn't know? It's not a ping pong match. It's a contact, it's a contact sport. I shouldn't be avoiding sick people, I should be running to them. I shouldn't be avoiding lost people, I should be running to them. Let me get my hands on them. These hands are anointed. And the world is looking for breakthrough. See, the Bible teaches us that it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. That's right. The anointing. Not doctors. I'm not against doctors, but the Bible didn't say doctors break the yoke. It says the anointing breaks it. I'm not against doctors. Not against Tylenol. Took some a couple days ago. I'm not against that stuff. What I'm against is replacing that stuff with Jesus. Let's make Jesus, let's put Jesus first. Let's contend for glory. Let's contend for his goodness. The Bible says by his stripes we are healed. If that's not lining up in my life, let's contend for it. I heard a guy say it this way. He said, we don't have to see to believe, but because we believe, we want to see. I want to see it. Is Jesus alive or is he not? He's alive. I want to see it. So that's the purpose, what we're doing. Stirring people to get bold, to get their hope back and start seeing God transform their lives. We do it through three different, three different avenues, three different platforms. Like Dr. Ken said, we have the White Noise Youth Conference. It is a specific platform for seventh through 12th graders the purpose of the whole event. The, a traditional event goes from Friday night all day Saturday into Sunday morning. And the purpose for the whole event is to set a place where students can come hear the voice of God. The name of the conference is called White Noise. White Noise is this background static distraction. This world is so loud right now. It's been loud for a long time, but it's only getting louder. And we, we have, if, if you don't mind me, now I can see some of the high school students like getting ready to throw rocks at me, so whatever, that's cool. But we have, we have a, such an undisciplined, unfocused generation. We're, we're like a boat in the middle of a hurricane, just rocking like this. And so, you know, we can run and do projects and we can run and do these things and create these events and create this stuff, but ultimately what brings that ocean to stillness is the voice of Jesus. You see, when a student hears the voice of God for the first time, he affirms their identity. And then he releases their destiny. The first time God comes and speaks to a young person, he says, I know this is what you think you are, and I know this is what you think you've done, but I just want to remind you, you are my son and you're my daughter. And when you find out that, I'm in, that you're in Christ, this is what you're capable of doing. 
we've got to win this generation back. So we have a promo video real quick. I just wanted to show you just so you can get a little taste of what the conference looks like. there is the future church. That's, that's future lighthouse. That's future lighthouse. The, 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 the future of the church rests in the present church today. So if we don't act, someone else is going to. And so we're going to act. We'd like to do five conferences next year. Right now we already have two uh, in the works. And yes, one of them will be here. because we're gonna take back Gloucester. So anyway, you guys already know that, right? I mean, that's why you're here. Like, we already, we already know that. The other thing that we do, um, the other platform we do is called Chapel. Chapel is a space where we come in and we solely focus on the presence of the Lord in the heart of Jesus. It's a worship space. We get together, we worship, and we just love on Jesus. It's about an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and a half or so, um, but it's about uh, prioritizing the presence of the Lord, putting it first again putting him first again. You see, I've come to find that I'm a better husband when I put Jesus first. I, okay. I, I, find, I find that I'm a better husband when I put my wife second and Jesus first. You can't do anything to the full potential without Jesus without being marked by his presence. John 15 said it this way. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branch. Separate from me, you can produce no fruit. But connected to me, sky's the limit. So that's the, the, part, uh, the point of chapel is to get in and experience the presence of the Lord and be saturated with his presence so we can take it to our city. The third thing that we do is we feel, our team feels that God has called us to take this message, to take this fire to take this passion and to take it as far as the Lord will let us all around the world if that's what he wants to do. But we believe that we're supposed to travel and um, go to other churches, wake, wake them up, get them stirred up and help them transform into God's image and his likeness. Amen. 
Amen. Good, I got 15 minutes. I can do this. I can do this in 15 minutes. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. Okay. If you have your Bible, let's turn to Joshua 6 real quick. We're starting a new series here at Lighthouse called Giants. And through this series, you're going to learn how to take them down. I love it, man. Not just throw a sling at them and knock them in the head, but cut off their head so that they don't get back up again. You see? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just leave it at that. Giants, giants are supposed to be dead. They're not supposed to be alive. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went in and no one came out. The Lord said to Joshua, see, I've delivered Jericho into your hand, along with the king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry the trumpets of ram's horns in the front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast from the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up and everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord. The seven priests carry the trumpets in the front of them. Verse 8, and Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets, verse 10. But Joshua had commanded the army, don't give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you. And then I want you to release a shout. Verse 16, the seventh time around when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army to shout, for the Lord has given you the cities. Verse 20, when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, so everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. I want to talk to you in 10 minutes on how to destroy Jericho. Jericho is literally a 20-foot wall it's 20 feet high and it's six feet wide. It's the first city, it's the first siege, it's the first thing the Israelites face walking into the promised land. They spent 40 years in the desert, now they're finally able to walk into the promised land and it's the first obstacle they face. And this is my logic. My logic's like, you've been in the desert for 40 years, okay? People have been disobedient, so people, the wrath of God and Old Testament, you know, boom, boom, boom type stuff. You know, people are dying and stuff. It's just absolutely chaotic and crazy and stuff like that. There's a whole new generation of people here. You walk to the promised land, you're finally there. And the first thing you see is that. My thought is, why don't you just walk around it and just keep on going? <laughs> sounds pretty logical, right? It sounds, it sounds easy. Like at least you've been eating quail and, and manna for 40 years. Someone get that, please. 40 years of quail. <laughs> and manna. Good Lord. Go around and get you some honey. <laughs> get you some Chick-fil-A. Get something. Put your, put your tents down. Do, a, do some stretch. Take a vacation. Like, like you're in a desert for 40 years. Go find like a, a pool of water and go sit in it for a minute. Why we gotta deal with Jericho right now? And this is why, the reason why that they weren't able to ignore Jericho and just go around it, because Jericho represents more than just a city that's standing in the way, it represents separation. Let me explain. Here are God's people, here's God promise, God's promise, and here's big ugly Jericho. Jericho is standing in the way of God's people, 
and God's promise. And so we think logically, okay, well, the promise is over there. Let's just go around it. Here's the thing. You cannot take the promise of God with separation existing in your life. Jesus died on the cross to annihilate separation. He doesn't want any ounce, any facet of separation in your life. My question for you is, what are, what are there, what Jerichos are there in your life? What are things that are trying to separate you from God's presence? What are the things that are trying to keep you out of God's promise? What are the things that are pushing you back from entering into the presence of the Lord? I know some of you wanted to come up here this morning and lift out a shout and praise, but there was something inside of you that said, don't go do it. What is that thing? Is it condemnation? Is it guilt? Is it shame? Is it your past? What is it? That thing is Jericho, separating you, trying to separate you from God's promise. The reason why God wants the Israelites to deal with Jericho, because if you don't deal with the Jericho in front of you, you just go around it, it's still a Jericho behind you. I used to run cross country back in high school. It was really, really fast for a single A school. <laughs> I normally don't tell people that, but whatever. I was really, I was pretty fast. Uh, we had an opportunity to go to the regional championship, me and the whole team this time, uh, really, really exciting. And so I'm really focused, I'm the number one runner. And so what we did was we made a strategy. You know, if you're gonna accomplish something, it'd be good to have a good strategy. But there's always that one joker on the team that abandons the strategy. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> I'm on, so on our way, on our way to this the regional track meet, the regional um, cross country meet. It's 3.2 miles. I decided internally I'm abandoning the strategy and I'm going to take the whole tournament all by myself. It was there was it was actually. Um, um, possible for me just to take the whole thing. So I thought, you know what, forget them. I'm gonna do this myself. So this, let me give you some context here. So we have this guy, he, he's, um, he's called the rabbit. The rabbit is the guy when the gun goes off, he just takes off running really, really fast at a pace that you cannot keep up for 3.2 miles. He's supposed to psych everybody out, okay? The rabbit goes, freaks everyone out. I kind of follow behind him. I pass him by the two mile mark Then everyone else kind of follows me and we just kind of go in and you know take the race. I was a mess. The gun went off, I beat the rabbit <laughs> out of, out of, off the line. I beat him. I was like, whoo! I ran my first mile in five minutes and 15 seconds. I ran my second mile in five minutes and 25 seconds. I'm a hot mess. Okay, you're running through the woods and up and down these hills, then you come out to this big meadow and there's all these people here. And so when I went in, my hair looked good, I'm smiling. You know, super long hair, I'm rolling. When I come out, I got snot, I got drool all over my face. I am not kidding, I was in so much pain. Around the second mile, I was like, this was a bad idea! But you already did it! So I'm running, I'm running, I'm running. I have, I'm leading the entire region. There's no one behind me. I've left them in my powder, in my dust. It's been great. I have half a mile left, half a mile away from breaking school record, breaking my personal record, taking the region, half a mile away. And all of a sudden, I hear someone behind me yell, Jason, I'm coming for you. And my immediate reaction was, how are you even talking right now? I need every ounce of oxygen just to keep moving. I gotta keep moving forward. I mean, I don't even know why he's talking. I mean, my breathing's like, 
<laughs> I'm just trying to keep going. And this joker behind me has the audacity to just start yelling stuff at me. All of a sudden I hear it again, Jason, I'm coming for you. And guess what I started to do? I started entertaining that voice. It was this voice behind me that started getting me out of sync and out of rhythm. You see, when I run, I like to go, two breaths in, one breath out. That helps me kind of keep a cadence and a pace. So my right foot plants on my out and the rest of it just, and when I do that, I can, kind of, I can kind of keep myself in rhythm. It was this voice behind me that started getting me out of rhythm. You see, what the devil wants to do is start calling your name from behind you to try to get you out of sync and out of rhythm with the Lord. You're on a race and you're on the right path and it's hard sometimes and it's difficult sometimes, but you're still on the right path. And what the enemy likes to do is call you from behind. It's the voice behind you. It's the Jericho behind you. That's calling your name. The reason why God wants you to take care of the Jericho in front of you. Because if you don't, later on down the road, that same Jericho is gonna start calling your name. And the blood of Jesus doesn't, listen, the blood of Jesus just doesn't cover your sin. It washes it away. And so you not dealing with this Jericho is allowing it to stay. What you will not confront, you will not conquer. And there's, what are we afraid of? Jesus died on the cross. His blood is sufficient. His grace is enough. He's more powerful than sin. He's more powerful than death. He rose again. He's seated on high. He poured out his spirit inside of us. What do we have to be afraid of? God, a good father who gave us his son, would not hold anything from us. My question for you is what, is, what is this thing that's trying to keep you out of the presence of the Lord? And is it, is it maybe not necessarily something that's in front of you, maybe it's something you're tethered to and it's still behind you. It's time to let the past be the past. Let it be gone in the blood of Jesus. You see, Jesus is not your last hope, he's your only hope. And when you put your, when you put your hope in Jesus, he doesn't just forgive your past, he removes it. I was praying for you. And the Lord wanted me to tell you, you are not your Jericho. Your Jerichos don't define you. You're son of God. You're not your Jericho. And I feel like that there have been some Jerichos behind you that have been calling your name recently. You need to turn around and tell them to shut up, that you are a son of God that there is no more condemnation in Christ Jesus. I think it's time. See, here's the thing. You know why it took 40 years for the Israelites to get to Egypt? In order for God, in order for God to pull the Israelites into, to take the Israelites to the promised land, he had to pull them out of Egypt, but then he had to pull Egypt out of them. You can't go to the promised land thinking like you're still a slave. time you start living free. Yes. You got, see, that's why, well, anyway, all right. It's 11.15. It means I have to stop. Can I have five more minutes? <laughs> Give me five more minutes. Let me help, let me help. Yeah, hey, the crowd says yes. <laughs> that's right. 
So I'm just gonna give you a couple steps real quick on how to start coming up against your Jericho. The first one is this, you gotta name it. You gotta name it. You see, you see separation, sin, frustration, um, shame, whatever this is, this Jericho grows in darkness. It's like mold. It grows in darkness. You gotta name it and expose it to the light. See, see, we're afraid to expose it to the light because we're afraid that after, after the light comes the thunder and the lightning and God comes and bashes you in the ground. But that's not so, friends. God is saying, I want you to bring it to the light so that when it comes to the light, it can start to die. You gotta name it. And listen, don't water it down. Let's just call it what it is. Let's just call it what it is. You gotta name it. The reason why you name it, once you put a name to it, you can then take it and put it underneath the name of Jesus. For the Bible says that because Jesus was obedient even unto death, God has given him a name above all names. And once you name it, you can say, guess what, buddy? You got a name. And the Bible says that every name, every knee shall bow to the name of Jesus. That's why we see a lot of energy and stuff bubble up when we just sing the name of Jesus. We don't have to have all these words. Let's just get a community together and start declaring the name of Jesus. When the name of Jesus is lifted up, he'll draw all men to him. So you gotta name it. The second thing you gotta do is you gotta get a word. You say, Lord, give me a word that I can speak over this situation. God, give me a word. There's a specific, every specific situation, there is a specific word for it. Open up your Bible and sit down with Jesus and say, Holy Spirit, show me where this word is so that I can put word to this. Listen, because it was the word that sent the devil fleeing. When Jesus, oh my gosh, you see, when Jesus was in the desert, when Jesus was in the desert and the devil tried to tempt him and invite him into temptation, he responded with, he responded with, he responded with, the word. So you need to get a word for your situation. Thank God. Thank God. There's a specific word for a specific situation. Thank God that David didn't go back and look and say, oh, the Israelites marched around Jericho. There's Goliath. I'm going to march around him. It's a good thing you didn't do that because guess what? It wouldn't have worked because a Goliath doesn't need a march and a shout. A Goliath needs a sling and a stone. Yeah. Got to get your word. When you get your word, you start declaring it over your life. Look, in the very beginning here, it says this in Joshua 6, 1, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one out, no one went out and no one came in. Then, verse two, then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I've delivered Jericho into your hands. The problem with that is Jericho is still standing. Nothing's happened, Jericho is still there. And God says, look, I've given you the city. Which means this, God, we shouldn't be waiting on God to give us a city. God is waiting on you. God's waiting on you. God's like, look, I gave you the city. And we're like, God, tear it down, tear it down. And he's like, I've already given you the city. Tear it down, God, tear it down. Do it, God, rip it up. He's like, I've already given you the city. Here's the word, march, shout, and it's yours. God's not waiting, or we shouldn't be waiting on God. God's waiting on you. So get your word and start speaking it and believing it. The thing that brought the walls down was a shout. This is me closing right here, cool. The thing that brought the walls down was a shout. That was the word, shout, and the walls came down. Now, if we go to Luke 19, Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem being king, getting ready to crown king. He's on the way, 
he's got, he's riding on the donkey and he's moving in. And the people, this is what the word says, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully praising God, the loud voice, God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They're making a lot of noise. Jesus said, I tell you this, that if the crowd stops shouting, the rocks will cry out. Where they were at this particular location, y'all ready for this? Y'all ready for this? I'm about to pull a Dr. Kramer. Y'all ready for this? Watch this. Watch this. He's, he's, in, he's going into Mount of Olives. I, I, I looked this up. This is insane. Where Jesus, like this is the only place Jesus talks about stones coming alive, rocks coming alive, and shouting. I looked this up and I saw that when Jesus said that, they are, they're in the Mount of Olives on the way to Jerusalem. They are 13 miles away from Jericho. 13 miles is from Gloucester County to Gloucester Point. Still Gloucester-ish, you know. They're in the exact same region. I would say the exact same town, right outside of Jericho. And so that's why he said, if you stop shouting, the rocks will begin to shout. I wonder if he was talking about the same rocks that were torn down from a shout. You see, in the Old Testament, the rocks were brought down because of a shout. In the New Testament, the rocks stay down because of a shout. That's good, man. That's good. That make me happy. That's good. That's good. What am I saying? The same word that brought the rocks down is the same word that's gonna keep the rocks down. Jericho's like to be, when they crash, they like to try to come back up again. You just turn around and remind it of the word. You don't need some new word, some new prophecy, some new big type thing. Go back to what God said and enforce what he told you to enforce and keep your Jericho's down. And stay free. All right, let's pray. Can we pray? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for all that you're doing in this house. We thank you for this space. We thank you for this church. We thank you for the sound. We thank you for the shout. We thank you for the word. We thank you that we're being transformed. God, I thank you that you seal this word in everyone's heart. And I thank you, God, that you're bringing Jericho's down even right now. as we identify our Jerichos and we give them to you. You give us a word. I thank you that we're obedient to the word. We bring them down.